Greetings, dear garment gazers, and uh, welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, this week's episode started out with an idea of inviting two previous guests, small business owners, for a bit of a catch-up on how they're doing and what the business is like in general. So I invited Neam Carr from NEMC and uh, Gary Newbold from English Utopia. Idea being, have a frank, free rollicking chat about stuff and that's what it turned out to now we do go spelunking down a few rabbit holes such as um, sizing gets a bit of a, a look in various other aspects well i uh, i do hope you enjoy it and um, see you again next week ta-ta for now Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today, I am honoured to have two guests, actually two return guests, um, and we're in for a bit of a treat with regards to talking about small businesses. So I have invited back Neve from NEMC and Gary from English Utopia. Now, for those that haven't met you before, would you like to Tell us a bit about yourself, Neve. Um, yeah, so hello, I'm Neve. I run a very teeny tiny, small, minute clothing brand called, I call it NMC, but other people call it NMC, and I don't mind either way. I don't mind at all. So NMC, NMC, whichever. Um, I run that tiny clothing brand and I do that from Stockport in Manchester. And Gary? I'm not so far away from Neve. I'm about uh, 60 miles to the east in York and uh, I have a brand that I've now had for several years called English Utopia which is essentially making um, jackets and coats otherwise known as outerwear but we are venturing into a a few other areas as well now, principally make the point being that we make everything ourselves. I think that goes for you as well, Neve. You make everything yourself. Yes. Um, so we're all made literally by me at this point um, and kind friends that come to help do all the annoying jobs like stamping all my labels at the last minute and... Um, chosen button sewers <laughs> now my idea with this episode was to invite the two of you as one person who's been in the industry for a while i.e gary with one person who's been in this industry for a lot shorter period for a kind of frank exchange of ideas uh, the problems of being small maybe the joys of being small Maybe we could say a bit about the joys of being a small company. Go and scare me, Gary. What, 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 what's, what, what's going to happen to me? There's nothing. A teeny tiny business. <laughs> There's nothing. It's all horrendous. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I think the most. <laughs> I think the the most obvious one, of course, is that one can derive a great deal of satisfaction from creating something uh, which starts out as an idea in your head 
um, and then somewhere down the line, you get an order for that very thing that you uh, that was originally just an idea, and somebody gives you money for it. That simple explanation uh, of, of a, the shortened version of a process is, is very, very satisfying. I mean, often people say things like, oh, working for yourself, being my own boss, not having to deal with a bunch of people in suits and committee meetings and, and um, product development meetings. Uh, but I, th I think the main thing is um, feeling like your original idea comes to fruition through your own efforts and uh, you, you benefit from that. And hopefully you benefit from it in such a way that you can make a living, make a nice living, make a great living. I mean, that to me is it, it, the benefit of, of, of being small and working for yourself is even if it doesn't make you a lot of money, it's almost, I would go as far as to say it's good enough to pay your bills on time, have a holiday, make sure you've, you've got, it isn't really about being rich. It's about feeling that you're on top of your game uh, and, and you're enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, because of how the sort of world I know I want to exist in at the ends of fashion, well, fashion clothing, it's the world of it is called fashion, yeah. but I know we're not necessarily in that definition yeah. of it. Like I think I've known from the beginning with that, this is not um, a way to get rich quick. <laughs> like, yeah. That isn't, that's not, I, I think I've known for a long time that's never what it's going to be about. And me deciding to make everything the long way around all on my own in a little room is probably not going to be as it's not going to be as easy as go and sit at a desk because I mean I also I also do that I still have a yeah. day job as a product developer so I do sit in those meetings that you're talking yeah. about it's probably a very so good thing is though isn't it because the, ni part the nice thing about your product development job is it will be uh, as I found myself before I did this when I worked for a fairly large organization it, it teaches you some disciplines and some and and, and some processes that you are, are very very useful to have when you then do what you're doing and what I'm doing. I mean, some of the stuff I picked up along the way whilst I was working for a large company have been invaluable to me now, and I'm sure your day job, so to speak, can feed into what you're doing. I guess for the time being. Yeah, it's um that company's still it's still relatively new yeah. as well. So it's a lot of like figuring things out first times for me and them, which is it is interesting and it's the kind of thing of seeing because they're also a small business, but obviously ten times bigger than yeah. me. Um it is interesting to see it sort of that I'm doing one tiny part of it there and 
wow, I need to get to the studio tonight and do all the other 15 parts of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> as well. And it's, I just think that's, this is the scary part of going on your own, of going, right, I've got to figure out how to be all these other people that are sat in this office. Yeah. Even though it's on a much smaller scale, I'm not going to start making all that product, all that stock, all that whatever. It still means I need a marketing head. I need a accountant head. I need all these other mm. caps to wear. Yeah, I think I certainly think that um, sometimes businesses. It'd be interesting to know what Nick thinks from the company he either has worked for or works for that some of these positions are often overinflated in importance and can scare you from ever getting involved. You know, you talk to people in marketing departments and, uh, oh, it's such a great skill. And um, no doubt, of course, there are some very gifted people in that world, but you can do a lot of it. It, it, it sh You shouldn't be put off or daunted by so-called specialist saying oh this is a specialist thing this is a specialist area um i think it can be off-putting for small business people including myself but i've found that once you have to i i can do the basics of my accounts i, I can understand the p l and a balance sheet i can i can um turn my head to social media and write some copy probably not as brilliantly as somebody that's doing it all the time but we're not, um, it, we shouldn't be put off by some of these other, what would I call them, specialisms. We can do them. There you go, that's my enabling speech. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's totally right, especially what you say about social media, because, I mean, if you're a big company, you can have several people working full time on social media, but that doesn't mean you're getting better or more engaging social media. It just means it's slicker and it's yeah. planned and it's uh, yeah. well, basically slicker, I think. <laughs> but uh, what you as a small company can produce is, is the genuine stuff. I mean, what your type of follower customer is interested in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that – I find that like a sort of seeing – I get to know most of the people that buy my stuff and that obviously will yeah. never happen in a business. Not much, you know, not much bigger than mine, but it's, you lose that I think very quickly. Um, when, so I don't know, even like, a, I mean, you're a lot, your business is bigger than mine, Gary, obviously. I, I'm going to assume you don't know 99 percent of the customers yeah it you know something it's actually um you can go far f you can go a lot further than you than you think with interaction direct interaction with your customers um i'm always surprised by um watching managers directors ceos in businesses delegating away the responsibility to talk to the the customers of that company or that brand to a, either a call center or 
somebody there probably paying anything between eight and 12 pounds an hour. And, and they'll go off to, I don't know, strategy meetings and they'll look at spreadsheets and one thing or another. I actually, I mean, I'm, I believe to or not, I am a very small business, uh, but I think that if I had a bigger business, I would really want my role as CEO to be one whereby I, I delegated away some of the other things and actually spent a large proportion of time compared to what perhaps most CEOs do speaking to the people that are using the product. Um, and, and I think that you can be quite sizable before you have to put your hands up and say, too much, can't do this anymore. Clearly, you can't speak to 300 people a day or email 300 people a day. But, no. You know, I mean, not being funny, if, if I was doing, if I was selling 200 jackets a week, which I'm not, a long way from it, um, I, I still believe that certainly I could email, what, 20 customers a day? I could probably have personal interaction with 100 people a mm. week. Not much, not a great life story, but thanks for your purchase. Hope you like it. Let us know how you feel about it. Um, just, a, you know, something witty or something informative. So we can actually stay connected to our customers for far longer than we think. That's, that, that's my opinion anyway. And I think they appreciate it. See, I'm, yeah, see, I think they do and they really like that and like surprise me that people want to talk to me about yeah. it. Um, it has surprised me, yeah. but I think there's a lot of um, maybe egos in like that customers don't. Again, it's with much bigger businesses. Like I don't want to talk to them because they don't, they don't, they don't yeah. know if they've got like negative feedback or even if it's meant to be positive feedback. That's not. I don't want to hear that, and I think that's like you're saying about things being directed to call centres and stuff and web chats and whatever, it does yeah. massively remove it's infuriating, the human element it? from a brand that, even if it's a mid-sized brand, um, even if it's a mid-sized brand, like, you've still got, you've still got the capacity to do it. Like you're saying, 200 jackets a week, I could email 20 of them. Yeah. I think that is, that's a nice, that's quite a nice thing to, hear someone say as in that because I don't ever want to lose that I really enjoy it and I think that's yeah. nice to know that that is still doable even on one step up two steps up ten steps yeah. up I, I think there's um I mean I'm the sort of typical garment buyer fanboy so for me if I send an email to a company and someone I can recognize in that company replies I'm like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> you never know who replied yeah <laughs> I mean I mean some clothes people are kind of like pop stars in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was Obviously, we both. Yeah, I felt like that when you emailed. I felt like that when you first messaged me, Nick. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, oh, it's Nick. Well dressed up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Obviously, Nick, this is a, this is a really podcast like, oh, and there's no visual, but for... For Nick's listeners, we're, we're, we obviously look like rock stars, don't we? I mean, you know, <laughs> I wish. 
<laughs> no, sorry for going off. Topic. Yeah, we'll let that sink in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I just think that there's. Um, I have no evidence for it, other than the, the the companies I've worked for. But there does seem to be. I don't know really. I, I really don't know why. I don't know whether it's again ego, as you say, evil, whatever it is. But there does seem to be. Um, as um, an individual climbs the corporate ladder or, or, or gets to a more important position in a bigger brand, um, there's always a disconnect between that person and that job and the person buying the product. Um, that's my experience. And I actually think that lots of companies could be reorganized so that, as Nick was saying, somebody that really knew their shit or uh, who was a recognisable name within the company re responded. I mean, people are spending a lot of money with me. I, I think it's the least they deserve, you know? Yeah. I think um, Not... as much as, you know, you're the designer, you're the maker, it's your brand, whatever – that person is still the person that matters. And yeah. I've been asked this before when I've done sort of more, when I've, when I've made stuff, like I, I'm not upset if someone says, I don't like that pocket where you put one like this on yeah. or we change that to that, we move that there or whatever. Yeah. That doesn't affect my whatever creative ego. Like I don't yeah. feel much of that. Like I want to make something that someone loves. Like that means an incredible amount to me and I think that's so humbling and so special that someone wants to go out into the world in something I've had you know done something with and touched and made so uh, yeah like not have not interacting with your customers I think I I like it because I'm happy that they want to talk to me and they want an opinion on something because or they want to change it or they want a different fabric or whatever it is to me that means they're gonna probably like it more they're gonna wear it more they're gonna value it more and even on like base level they're more likely to buy it as a yeah. you know an initial thing so not seeing that you're like I know I might be able to sew a line of stitching straighter than a customer of mine that can't sew or whatever or doesn't know how to, doesn't know what a sleeve looks like but that doesn't mean I'm better than them that customer is the one that's going to wear it and the one that's going to pay my studio rent yeah yeah do you know what I mean? like yeah. they're the special one here not me and my yeah not me and my well, i don't know not, not me basically <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, i i think i agree with that but and um, yeah, you, often you can do that and help to shape your career yeah sorry yeah, massively. I suppose if you are a designer with a very, very precious ego and all your designs are sort of super considered and not to be touched, so if a customer does sort of express an opinion about them, you're mortally offended, it might be a bit tricky to be sitting there replying to emails. But mm. as you're saying, I mean, without your customers, what are you? Yeah. Yeah, and I think you've got to... That, that world of like concept and really considered like I don't I'll, that is that's not my 
world like I like things that work well so the kind of art of things and maybe that's why I don't get it that's maybe that's why I don't get why people might not want to engage with customers in that way but that is sort of I, I don't really understand that I like design and I love making I love that but I'm not I'm I don't feel a on a particularly higher plane about the pocket I've put on something, it's I just liked it and I think it works well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong if you are more conceptual, but maybe that is where, as you say, Nick, that's where you lose people's sort of not in a bad way ego, but they don't want someone to say, "Can you change that for me?" Yeah, because it's it's a different process they've took to get to it. I think there's um I think there's um a place for I mean I don't think there's any place for pretentious hissy fit behavior from anybody in in business let alone designers but I think there is a place where one can assert one's own if you like ego and um opinion, and direction because at the end of the day people you work for or your your customers they're actually looking to you to see what's next or what you're the you're the creative one they they can actually you can spark off ideas in their head uh, and occasionally you know they'll to use a golfing analogy and i hate golf but <laughs> occasionally a, a customer will, <laughs> will hit a hole in one and you think what a great idea i'll have that but actually a lot of the time, um, I would say I, I, I'm not shy about asserting my creativity because it's it's what I do and it's what I've done for 30 years. And my customers are actually looking to see what I'm going to do next as well as contributing to that process. So I'm, I'm not sort of shy at saying, no, I want to do it like this. This is what I'm doing. And, uh, mm. you know. See, I think that's maybe I think that's maybe an more of an experience thing that I am maybe lacking in confidence. Cause I think you you talked about it with your sister Nick about what is it poppy poppy syndrome? Like you don't want to not bigging yourself up too much. Oh right, yeah, yeah. You don't want to big yourself up because no, people are just going to come and take you down, aren't they? Yeah. So like I like I'm very nervous about. Anyone thinking that I think I'm better than I am, or any of that, like that, really, really, yeah, that that really upsets me. If someone was to think I was big-headed or well, thinking I'm better than someone, and I think, like you're saying about asserting your knowledge or asserting your opinion, I can when it's my opinion and my something for me and what I think would be best, but I'll, I would find it hard to go with the creativity side of it because that is, um, that varies person to person. Yeah. So it's like, I can tell you that this scene might last longer and I can, I'm brave enough to like die on that hill because I can go, well, I've, I've yeah. learned this, I know this, I've done it for this long, but with the creativity thing, I think, a confidence in that will come from experience and having done it for yeah. however many years. Many, many years when you're old like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think that one one of the things that um, I would say to that is that there's a difference between thinking positively about what you do and speaking positively about what you do. So I'll give you one example. So I might think I'm going to make an overcoat like this and I'm going to make it with this kind of collar and I'm going to put a silk lining in it and I'm going to put oversized pockets on it and I'm very very I'm thinking very confidently and I'm thinking very positively however what I might say whether it's verbally or through social media or whatever will be very much toned down um, you know or we're, we're thinking of doing something like this or uh, this is just an idea this is just a prototype so I think it's important to do the former. So think positively because you're good at what you do and you can have confidence that you're good at what you do. Um, but you don't actually have to be as confident when you speak or, or, or text or write. I think we can be perhaps a, a more, if you like, a more humble version of ourselves when we come to putting ourselves out there. If that does that make sense? So your 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 confidence about your ability very yeah. much an in an inward thing, trusting your ability, trusting your creativity, um, without going out to the world and telling them how great you are. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, who loves a dickhead? No. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, don't, just don't be a dickhead like that. <laughs> that that is my whole. That's my whole sort of life. <laughs> opinion um no i think but that's the thing being a being a being right at the beginning of whatever this is that this journey i'm on is mm. i feel like i've been doing it quite a long time now in my head like this is what i've wanted to do for a long time and i've been doing it a few years now but it obviously i want to do it forever more but mm. um having that confidence like you're saying about this is a good idea this is this is a good design this is right that as a young brand as in not being around very long I think that's just that is tough yeah um but that might be more of a personal thing <laughs> rather than a new business thing or a small brand thing yeah the thing that amazes me about this industry, really, well, there's lots of things that amaze me about this industry, both good and positive and bad and negative. Um, but the sheer, the sheer scale, the sheer numbers out there buying stuff, I mean, it's just, it's beyond comprehension to me because if I could f attract, you know, 0.025% of um, people just in Europe, let alone the States or Japan or anywhere else, to, to be interested in my product, it would be more orders than I could cope with. So to me, the question isn't, mm. have you got a good product? Because you know you will you will know through your own rigorous background and processes that um you've created something that people like 
and it's just how you how you reach those people that are out there that will like your things because you, you could say you could say this if you've sold your product to 20 people let's say in the manchester area um you can bet your life some clever actuary could probably come up with the the numbers to say that if you sold to 20 people in Manchester in the first year, it means that you'll probably sell to 4,000 people in the UK over three years and 40,000, you know, you could actually, because the point being, if there's 20 yeah. people that like it, there's 2,000 people that will like it. You haven't just found the only 20 people in the world that like your stuff. The, the big problem, and this mm. is my problem too, is how the hell do you put your ideas and your product under all of the people that are out there that would like it if they but knew about you, and and, and that's that's. You give. I think. I think. I think. I think. You give Meta all. You give. You give Meta all your money for ads. And that's how you do it. <laughs> you might as well stand in the shower and stuff ten pound notes down the plug hole. <laughs> I don't know whether Nick will keep that. Yeah, but yeah, that's. Yeah, I'll keep it in. I'd, I'd like you to talk more about how you can waste money on uh, advertising, uh, yeah. Gary. Yeah, it, it, if that's going to lead us to the next section, Nick, I would um, very, very briefly say that um, I think um, Meta's the new name for Facebook, isn't it? Just to, I want, I want to keep my old, old yeah. man credentials intact. <laughs> Um, I think that it probably does work if you're in that league where you can spend, oh, God knows, I know, £500 a week or more, you know. I mean, a, a company, mm. the, the company I used to work for, for for quite a few years, Barber, I mean, their social media expenditure is probably... That their social media expenditure in a month is probably greater than my turnover. <laughs> I, I think if you can spend a lot of money, yeah, it's why when I when I sorry, leave carry on. Sorry, when I hear it, when, no, I was going to say that when I hear when I hear the numbers, it's sort of it's insane what it will, yeah, sort of how much you'll spend whatever per click or yeah how much it takes for one person to buy and it is worth it because you've got enough margin and all the rest of it but for businesses that maybe don't have that margin to risk a week's worth of 500 pound of ads in order to get to a point of yeah. you know it costs 20 pound in ads to get one person onto the website let's say like that for that sounds mental to me. Like that—that's just far too much. That's—it's too risky. It's too much money. It's not. Yeah. It's Can you imagine standing on the street handing out twenty quid notes to people yeah. wanting them to go into your shop? Like that. Yeah. But but then I get that the algorithms and stuff are very clever. I get that. It, I get that it works. I can. I see. I see that it works. But it has to be such a big spend, which I think cuts out little businesses from. Yeah. It because there, there are medium-sized businesses or bigger small businesses yeah. that can put that money into it, which yeah. 
I think a problem for everything that there's that money is a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> Especially I, in the UK. I don't see an arch capitalist capitalist like Mark Zuckerberg suddenly saying tomorrow, right guys, please change all of the algorithms to favour all those businesses that turn over less than two hundred thousand dollars a year because that's how we want to run the show now. That ain't going to happen, you know. Uh, there's t- there's too much money. There's too there's you know the the biggest brands now are probably not even owned by clothing companies. They're owned by hedge funds and um, large corporate groups. So there's there's far too much money for that policy to ever favour small businesses like you and I. I just don't see it happening um Mm. and interestingly enough up until i started selling online relatively recently only four years ago and for the first nearly two years i was spending i got to say it was probably more than i could afford i was spending 500 pounds a month with facebook some interaction um and i was i was selling i was getting orders and and to my mind i was thinking oh yeah facebook spending got some orders automatically making a link between the two and then um some local guy half my age who knows his way around um all the stats for this sort of stuff and where to look and the metrics and how to measure it he took a look at my, um, I forget what you call it now, but there's something you can embed into your website or into the Facebook uh, page, which tells you where the sales come from. Nick's going to tell me what the word is in a minute, and I can't remember it. Oh, like your traffic. It's the Facebook pixel. Pixel, yeah, there you go. Um, and... The guy came to me and he said, um, you're going to be interested in this, but none of your sales come from Facebook. And he said, now that's quite hard to, it, it, it can be hard to, to, to measure it because some people might look and then go away and then come back at some time after that. But as far as I Google. can tell... yeah." Most of your sales are, is the word organic, Nick, where they just find you from some other, you know, way of looking for you. And he said to me, why don't you try, you know, take a risk and don't spend any money with Facebook for a couple of months. If things, if sales go down or whatever, um, there's your answer. You know that it what actually was having an effect. So I stopped for two months without telling you the end of the story i haven't spent money with facebook for two years and my business continues to grow <laughs> wow it's that's the thing that like, there's such there can be such little understanding of it as well yeah like yeah yeah to know what how it's working and stuff and yeah, it's a world I don't oh, think that well. <laughs> it's a wild. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a whole industry 
built up that offers advice around all this. Mm. I mean, they are also an industry. But one observation I make about, um, say, large companies versus small companies on social media, you have a lot of large companies where they make very slick content. They call it digital content. um, But they don't really recognize their customers so they don't repost anything from their customers. You won't get a response if you try to send them a message. It's all about pushing out their vision, their lifestyle, their message. But then you have smaller companies who actually use the social media as a social media, not just an advertising platform, whereby if someone messages them, they'll get a reply. You can have a conversation. Um, they'll also, if someone tags them, say, I bought my... MC uh, jacket, look how cool I am. They'll post it on their story and involve the customers. And then you suddenly have this dynamic going, which isn't really costing anything because you're not paying for any advertising, but you are actually seeing your customers and making them feel valued. That was my little bit about mm. that. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, I was, I was chatting about this today, sort of in retail. If you like something, you tend to tell, like, four to five people about it as in oh I've got this new top, I like it. If you've had or like start a bad, podcast and blog and Yeah, you know. or or even <laughs> like good customer service, you probably tell oh yeah, they were nice in John Lewis yesterday. But if you have bad customer service, you probably tell about twenty people. And I always think of like, you know, annoying like an auntie telling the same story and over again, you won't believe what mm. they did. I think, yeah, you easily tell twenty people about something bad. So mm. when it is yeah, we do tell people whether that be on whatever medium, and that is in a way free, like you say, like remembering we're actually humans, not like digital VR headset bots. Uh, we are actually humans that yeah, use I, use the digital stuff, not that we are it. I think you make a very good point, and it, it, it's interesting to me that the the theme of our half an hour so far is very much that we are introducing that human element into the transaction, which, and I think that can be a strong point for small brands. Um, it's a, it's a very big and positive advantage over some of the people that we're actually competing for space with, I think, because they're not offering that. So, yeah, I think it's an important point. Mm. Very briefly, I remember, I, th- I think this probably set me off in this direction years and years ago. The first guy I worked for um, in the industry was, um, have you ever had somebody you call uncle that isn't really your uncle, but it's a family friend and that, you know, so this guy, he had a knitwear business and I always called him my uncle because he'd been nice to me as a kid and looked after me. So he's my uncle. And I went to work for him. Sounds dodgy. And he said to me. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I was that as I was saying it. These days you have to sort of be careful about saying that. But this was very much, you know, okay. <laughs> and um, he said, come on, lad. Um, we're going to. Uh, no, he, no. He I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm younger than you two and I grew up. I grew up, I, I'm younger than you, and I grew up with that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So he was very, the the knitwear industry in Leicester, which is where I'm from, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it was, it was massive. And 
all you had to do to make money in Leicester in those years was buy a knitting machine, put it in your garage, and the orders would come to you. It was a bit like that. So um, anyway, my uncle had this knitwear business, and uh, he said, come on, lad, we're going to go and buy a, a car today. I've done quite well this year. So we went down to the, the Mercedes dealership. You'll get the point of this story in a minute about why we need to retain that um, informative connection with the with the customer. So we went to the Mercedes garage, and this this bright young thing came out in his posh suit and clean face and brill creamed hair, rubbing his hands together when he saw my uncle. And uh, my uncle just took one look at him and said. Uh, you're quite smart for a mechanic. Oh, I'm not a mechanic, sir. Um, I'm I'm a sale. I'm a Mercedes salesman. And my uncle said, "That's exactly why I don't want to talk to you. Please go and get a mechanic." <laughs> so, the guy suddenly realizing that this might be the key to getting a sale, went into the garage. Mm. Mercedes dude comes out in a boiler suit with oil all over his hands and his hair everywhere and my uncle said to him you know now then young man what do you think to the i don't know the numbers of the mercedes the 280 sl i don't know whatever it was he said oh if you're going to get one of that get get one like this with that engine and make sure you don't buy that and and put this on it that's the point and i was probably 18 at the time and I saw firsthand how people want to speak to the people with the information and not some bullshit story. Mm. I pause. Which is why <laughs> podcast mediums and accessible people have really, people are loving it because we're getting, we're getting we're getting we're getting so much more digital and like we're getting less and less humany. So yeah, actually knowing the mechanic behind it is and getting their opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's yeah. Well, that's part part of the reasoning by being able to to contribute or to um, uh, involve yourself in in the stuff you buy, where instead of going into a place and you can have that one or that one, you can actually have one that is made for you with your considerations. Yeah. Mm. Which might involve moving pockets or having something built, made in a size that other people can't make. Yeah. I mean, for me, sizing is, um, I mean, it, Everything sounds really deep and meaningful when I say it like that. It, it means a lot to me, like being able to make something that people might not be able to get because um, NMC is a unisex brand. Yeah. Um, being able to offer something that people with whatever body can wear and say, like, I, you know, not gendering it by saying, like, I have a curved body, therefore I'm going to need that rise to be higher. Yeah. And that means a lot to me personally. And um, even sizing is in that you can offer something for either 
you know, small, big, medium, however shape people are. I think it's, that is such an important human element that I get that a lot of brands, if you are, you know, smallish, your production, it is tight. Even if you're producing abroad, you might, it, it, it can still be tight. You can't go, right, I'm going to make every size imaginable. I understand, like, I'm, I'm on board with that. That can't happen all the time everywhere. Yeah. So, for me, it does mean a lot to be able to offer that as a human sort of thing and value that with people because it's really shit if some you can't get something that you want from anywhere. Yeah. And it, it's there's no reason for it. It's not that clothes don't. It's not that you don't fit clothes. Clothes are literally for human beings. You don't have a go at your dog because the jumper you bought it doesn't fit it, <laughs> but. If we've decided, if I've got, I, I am a medium, I think I'm medium, and I go and buy three mediums and none of them fit me, yeah. I don't, I, like, because of the world we live in, you blame yourself, not the, not the, the, the medium trousers are too small, that they don't, yeah. that that's not right. It's like, well, no, it should it should just be human size and human shapes and you just pick what fits, not that you need to fit into something or that yeah. a brand's sort of customer can't possibly be that size. How could they possibly be of that stature? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, pisses me off. So. It makes, I mean, <laughs> I, I haven't really thought this it means a lot, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. So being able to offer that and that be such a human part of it is yeah. important. I find that very interesting what you're saying, actually, and I haven't really thought through my next point, but it's very interesting how, um, yeah, we are a little bit obsessed with with size and how it can shame us. I mean, you know, I, I'm a you know, guys are much vainer than we admit to and uh i know myself that um i now wear a i vary between a 34 and a 36 inch trouser and and when i <laughs> when i put on a, in the summer when i can wear a 34 and they're quite comfortable and it affects my mood i'm thinking yeah that's good and then mm. in the winter when i'm struggling to do the button up on a 36 i hate myself <laughs> And it's ridiculous. It shouldn't matter. But it, it's somehow it's somehow linked to um, well-being or the way we're looking after ourselves. Or and this... I don't know. I think this is a... I've been... This is... I don't know why this has come up a couple of times in the last few months but um there has been obviously quite right there's been a big shift in sort of how women are spoke to and how clothing companies treat and how they market things and the models they use and all the rest of it and that is incredibly important and it can be done well it can be done badly it can be done as a token as like a token and that's an issue but then it's been 
in some ways it's like well I tried I get that some people go I don't know how to do this so I've tried and that somehow made it worse and all of that but I think with sort of um menswear and I use that in kind of quotation marks because I again my view of clothing with men's women unisex it's it's different (laughs) um and sort of marketing towards um see I say like curved and straight bodies and stuff like that because that's how I um see things so sort of the male whatever you want to call it psyche of well when you were 18 you fitted in this and you might still feel like that but I think there's been a lot more work done to improve things of how we speak to women in that way because we all understand that sort of puberty happened and that bodies changed like you didn't have a beard now you've got one like you're sat there with stubble nick there was once a day where you didn't and I don't think we see that bodies change as well with men too like emotionally it doesn't have to be that you're a a female going through menopause that changes your body men also can be depressed and their bodies change with that can be all these different factors that affect it yeah and it's not even an age thing like seeing people of my age really beat themselves up and be upset about well I used to uh, like I think I'm this size and it doesn't fit me Mm. And I think we always see that as a female thing and that's damaging for both for all time all kinds of people, whether they see themselves as female wearing female clothes and that a twelve means something different to different brands and it means something in their brain which negatively or positively affects them that they fit in it. Yeah. Or whatever. It then also we've now got it with well, we've had we've always had it with men's sizing and clothing that your weight changes and where your body's water is stored changes and sort of clutching on to what you looked like at 16 17 or even 25 even 35 it, it doesn't it doesn't help anyone yeah and unless we're all we all have the ability to somehow morph back into it that's not that's not a reason to sort of have a way to shop or a way to engage with clothing. We need clothes. That's you know, unless unless we're on an island somewhere. And that's the way we've chosen to live. We need clothes and we need those clothes to enable us to have a nice day. Like life's too short to go, I think I look horrible today. That makes me feel like shit. I had to buy a bigger size. I hate it. I hate this. I hate myself. I shouldn't have eaten that. All this stuff. Yeah. It's like, that is just not, that's not what this necessity should be. Yeah. It's a necessity. We should enjoy it Mm -hmm. and it should make us be good humans to the next human. So that's, this is such a rant. I'm so sorry. No, it's not. (laughs) But to sort of, yeah, with sizing for it to then bearing in mind you know what what you've just said and i wholeheartedly agree with you if you walk down you know bond street regent street or madison avenue in new york or the monte near whatever it's called near i can't remember the name of it in milan 
I nearly said it then, and then I forgot. All of the imagery is totally fueling the opposite to what your very good and very worthy aspiration is. And, and, and I, I wonder whether the, the leaders in the fashion industry, leaders defined by those with the big books, couldn't be doing more to support your view of how things ought to be. Because it seems amazing to me that they're all on their, you know, their organic, their ethical trail. But yet when it comes to imagery, they all use the same playbook that they've used for 50, 100 years. The size eight woman or the, 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 the ripped guy, the chiseled look, uh, that hasn't changed. I mean, I, I do think that one or two people have tried to do something about that. Um, but it, you know, even if you go to somewhere like Heathrow Airport, you're surrounded by this so-called glamour, which which isn't helping what you're doing at all. I I do wonder whether the um, the brand at the top, Burberry, Ralph Lauren, blah blah, couldn't they do more to embrace what you're saying? they could and I think they um, see that there's a desire for it in um, on sort of like ground level of um, you know social media and things that have happened with even things like me too and like me like movements that have sort of raised the profile of these issues so i think that they go oh yeah there's a there's a sale to be made in that mm. and that's a very pessimistic view of it that they do just see it as a sale yeah but on baseline that's what these companies are and in a way that's what even our companies are we're trying to sell something but we're probably coming at it from a slightly different view of them because our needs for what that company needs to generate and needs to give back to investors and all the rest of it mm. so I think they do see it as important and it's an opportunity but I don't know how well it's been done because we still live in that world we still live in a world of um, it, where we see what normal is, and we, yeah, 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 we still think that that's normal, and that there are men, women, and they should and shouldn't look like this, and the sort of view of well, sex sells because we've been told that in marketing for yeah, like forever, and obviously, yeah, if we like the look of something, we want it, whether that be like an orange, a t-shirt or a human, like <laughs> we, we see something, we want it. And those ideals have been made and we've kind of absorbed them. And that's, that's, that's just the world that like we're, we're kind of too deep into it. And it, I think it just takes 
years and years of people trying to understand rather than poo-pooing these things because you know we've come a long way there there is still race and there's there's still racism there's still sexism there's still misogyny there's still all of these issues but we've Mm. year on year and like generation by generation some of them not all of them have been you know calmed down and they're less and less and less hopefully obviously they come they get bigger with certain choices governments make but um was exposed than it ever was hopefully i think it's all about sort of giving value to progress and going that it isn't a bad thing progress isn't scary and that it's not negatively affecting me and i'm going to be deemed as less if we start valuing these people that were treaters less than me previously Mm. and this is sounds way more political than like whether nike are using a plus size model but it's that thing of going well if that size eight model always gets booked always gets booked we're happy that she looks a certain way she's easy to feed to people she looks great in a picture great there's no reason that there's not the same amount of people that will feel the same about a plus size model i agree or a person with a different colored hair or a person of a different gender identity like all these things there's no reason why the people that identify with them won't buy Mm. but i think it scares us and it scares the people that fitted the original ideal and it's the brands are scared and it's yeah things change like well maybe yeah. I, I don't every things change and we just have to go right let's let's just go into this positively and try and be good with it i mean from, from a, pu- a purely middle-aged perspective uh, I mean, I don't see much in the way of advertising that uh, that works for me. Um, say, if you do see an older male model, he's not someone who's sort of relatable to me because I don't know many guys who are six foot, extremely handsome, uh, obviously spend all their time in the gym, have a sort of self-care routine which is must be beyond whatever. I thought you were talking to me for a minute there, Nick. So I mean, that doesn't me? really sort of speak to me but i think advertising has always been aspirational hence the (laughs) tiny skinny little girls they use but i'm wondering i mean they obviously add a few plus size models now to um avoid criticism but are people finding them as aspirational i don't know i mean obviously i'm very thin ice here it's i don't know how to explain we all like to see a nice picture. That's, you know, we all like to see something we like. It's it's kind of like whatever that smelly that smelly fruit is. If you smell it, you don't want to eat it, but you eat it, it tastes really nice. <laughs> Do you know whatever that thing, I can't remember what it's called. Like we we want all the sort of sensory things to be good, good, good. But... So yeah, I've got I've got a sort of I've got I think something else to say about the kind of because you said about um, it maybe being you know from a middle age perspective that there isn't a lot of it. I see it from like amongst my friends. I see there being 
just as much of an issue and like I said about we sort of we see the problems with um with how people have treat women yes that is important 100% and there's but I do think there's also issues on the other side and I think now with clothes where I see it with sizing especially and content media output it is just as affecting to um again quote marks aren't coming up on a podcast medium um of sort of men boys as well and it's they're being sold like you said this like slim athletic body and obviously that works when it's a certain brand that is genuinely aimed at athletes quite right that that person is they're gonna look like the person that's that's buying it but if you're a kind of lifestyle or a casual or whatever kind of brand and if those people exist those people have again base level purchasing power as well as being a valid human being on the earth that we should accept are a certain size are a certain shape whatever why Mm. would you not want to engage with them um and i do think it affects um there is an issue in menswear um massively with using younger models um when the buying power because where buying power is in menswear i do i I see the difference with my with my day job and with nmc and from working in retail for a while um sort of that was my thing before um doing it the sort of the people with the money the people with the spending power the people with the influence are always older that age comes with differences in body, differences in opinion and different ways of viewing the world. But we're adamant that if we put a young person in something, a young, skinny, attractive person, that it's aspirational. And maybe it is, but then that item arrives and it either doesn't fit or it makes that person feel shit about themselves. And it it makes them think that they're the one in the wrong and I think we need to talk about it just as much in menswear as we do in women's wear. Um, because there's no reason why you can't do e-com shops with different models. When you go, well, it looks better on a skinnier person, it hangs better. It might do. It might be easier at, on the photo shoot. It might well be. But if, you know, the mo- the the size that you sell the most of, I think the size I've sold the most of is XL or large. And my sizes are, they're generous as well and they fit loose. That's the sort of aim of the game here. For me to all, to be selling mostly bigger sizes too, what would be the point in using a really small person because it hangs nicer on them? That's not really useful it's nice to see on that small person because maybe small people haven't seen 
that they could wear my stuff or that they could wear a certain brand. So let's do it on them and them and them and whatever. And and again, it's all budget. It's all capabilities. But where possible, let's have a go because we're we're all people that need clothes here. And well, if... I, I, one, one thing I would add to that, if I may, is that I think the marketing people that are being paid the big bucks in the big brands, they would say that they were right. I, I personally believe they are mistaken. Their mantra for decades has been show um, a size 8 model and the size 18 woman will see the size 8 model and think that she could look like that. Um, yeah. that, that that's the false, that, that's the ridiculous uh, assumption yeah. that I think they make. Uh, I, I actually don't think larger men or larger women think like that at all. I think, no. if anything, they think the opposite. I could never look like that. or And it's wrong that they should be made to feel that they should never, because why, why can't they look as beautiful and as elegant in a size 18? Um, what, what tends, I think what's happening, you know, really, is it's a reflection perhaps of what we see in society a, a, across um the political divide even and, and it seems to me that you've got two factions and they're getting wider and wider apart so there's this sort of in the fashion industry you've got the what i might call the post-truth element which is the big brands that are pushing lifestyle and imagery and saying that this is how your life will be if you wear this mm. and then there's a, the, the the opposite to that there's a growing awareness a growing reality that it, it is seeing some of this whether it be politics or fashion for what it is a, a, a sham it's not real it, it, we, we're being we're being told that this is how our lives can be but it's not the case at all there's a there's a deliberate move away from authenticity at, at, in both in both aspects, whether it's politics or fashion. And I think the, the way I would describe it is the, the leaders of the fashion industry are making the divide between what they think is beautiful and ugly, and they're deciding it. They're making it ever wider. So their idea of beauty is pushed upon us with the, the images all around Heathrow Airport or Regent Street or wherever else you want to go. And we're made to believe that that's reality when actually reality is what I think you're doing, Neve. And you say, no, the, these clothes fit people and you, you can look beautiful in them and it doesn't matter about the size. Mm. That's kind of, and I think there are growing numbers that want that reality, that authenticity and not to be sold some version of the truth, which is that you're, buy this dress or buy this suit and you'll suddenly own an Aston Martin and go on expensive holidays to the Italian Riviera. Mm, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, one of my jackets then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there was one uh, real-life uh, example I, I wanted to mention regarding just this because it happened to me just recently when one of my, my 
favorite brands, which I usually buy an item every season or so. Um, but I normally buy them after having seen the designer himself wearing the clothes because he looks more like me. But when he yeah. released his new lookbook and was taking pre-orders with a nice discount for regular customers, he used a young guy, a skinny young guy, wearing everything very oversized. And I had to send him a message and say, sorry, I, can't, I just can't order anything now because I can't relate to this at all. I'll, I'll yeah. wait until I see you wearing the stuff. Maybe I'll fancy something then. But now it's doing nothing for me. Mm. I understand. I think, yeah, I Sorry, I was going to say, I know you can't be everything to all the people all the time, but you've got to be something to... A... Someone, sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Gary, go on. No, here's the funny thing. So, in a sense, we are everything to everyone because we offer a size scale. Mm. Um, yeah. That, by one definition, is being everything to everybody. So I can I can fit a man with a thirty six inch chest who measures one meter sixty, and I can fit a man with a fifty six inch chest who measures two meters. You know. Mm. So in one in in one definition, you could say we are we we are in a way being all things to all people. What's what's wrong is that we really are <laughs> the expectation from many many consumers is well, i don't even know whether it is an expectation actually but what's forced upon consumers is a certain look a certain like nick was saying um when he when you start using the skinny guy you you cease to be you ceased you almost deny your own right to be all things to all people by doing what that guy did for Nick before he did it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Nick would buy it. And actually guess what? The, the younger skinnier guys, I, I don't think they'd be put off by seeing the designer wearing it. No. Um, it's sort of like suddenly, it's yeah. sort of like the, you, it's sort of like the safety and privilege. And it was sort of with, again, political things were kind of, if you are a, naturally of a privilege, so if you are of a size or of a look or you have a, a widely accepted, attractive face, you can go around the world, obviously, yes, with some criticism because everyone can be criticised for things, but you go around the world without as maybe as much backlash and without as many problems. You can go and get clothing that would fit yeah. you yeah. on a like quite easily. And it doesn't mean yeah. that you like it or it doesn't mean that what just, basically it's just it's a level of privilege and there's nothing wrong with that privilege at all. It's not yeah. like there's nothing wrong with being thin and attractive. <laughs> That's not no. a bad thing. Just as it's not a bad thing being mid-size and having a face that some people might not think is absolutely banging, <laughs> but you are a human being that's on the earth that could buy a pair of trousers, that could buy a top, that could buy a jacket, and yeah. 
a brand should see that just as much as I don't know deeper levels that people deserve to find partners and to find friends we all deserve these things it's just sort of maybe the little bubble we're in doesn't allow it as easily but I think the people with sort of the privilege the privilege which isn't a bad thing I think some people worry about losing that privilege so if there's all of a sudden plus size models everywhere Mm. going well does that mean that I'm now I'm not valued it's a little no it means that you're valued and they are valued it doesn't like just because people can identify as a different gender doesn't mean that your gender isn't valid anymore it means that there's others and that's fine it doesn't affect you leave like leave people alone if someone if i'm going to use a different type of model that doesn't mean that that original skinnier whatever diff standard model is any less it just means that you exist and this person exists and i'd like to put you both on a pedestal I think what you're saying is if the industry could perhaps look at as a whole could consider a fairer representation of who is buying its products and And not be scared of of upsetting people with it. Yeah. Is this because the people who sort of run the image side of the industry are basically old, thin, lonely weird people uh i mean if you've seen the devil wears prada or you know who Karl lagerfeld was or i mean these image makers behind all this pretty weird people i mean they're not regular folks are they i mean um, yes, yes I and no, but like it's that that i see is like going that the beautiful people are the evil people in a way all the people are all the evil people like <laughs> As well as all the people are all the good people. I think it's money that's the problem here and the big brands and the money. Not that the CEO is thin and attractive. It's that the the reason behind that CEO's decisions are pushed by negative things or bad things or whatever. It's not that... Because I don't think anyone should be any less... I don't think you're at fault for being a a, a, a person. You can just well, be a dickhead, I, person, a dickhead person. I haven't I haven't really really looked into this, and for one that studied history at uni, uni, perhaps I probably ought to. But what to me would be interesting to know with within the world of costume and clothing and fashion and um. When did what came first? So, did society have this idea of beautiful and ugly, fat and thin, and then we built an industry around those those preconceived ideas, um, or did the did the origins of fashion fuel that very pro that very? I think it's a problem. I think that. You know, I've got two teenage daughters. I, I don't think even in their lifetime we will see a world where those words become irrelevant and aren't used. I mean, if if you use the words fat and thin, it immediately um, 
makes people it's funny isn't it thin is seen to be slightly airing on the positive side and fat seem seemingly slightly airing on the negative side which is ridiculous i mean perhaps from a health point of view one can say that's a different consideration isn't there i mean you know that one has to take into account whether or not your 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 body is what i'm trying to say is you can you can be healthy fat or thin that's right like <laughs> what i mean is that you shouldn't really in a in a progressive society perhaps be using words like beautiful and ugly and fat and thin as we do and i actually think the fashion industry could do a lot more and and I, I, you and i we're on the periphery of it i haven't got enough power or clout to do very much about it at all other than to have a small voice somewhere saying surely we could do more than we are you know take a business mm. like ralph lauren that whose turnover is in excess of two billion dollars i think might probably maybe even three what are they risking to their brand to to experiment with this in some small way i mean is their whole brand going to come crashing down because they used a, a size 18 model i don't think so no that that's the thing people are so scared to change that people are so scared to risk upsetting the privilege or the i don't know what the other word is other than privilege but upset the kind of the standard because it's always like negatively affected our brand image is that going to be a problem is that going to upset all the beautiful people that buy our stuff it it, it needs upsetting it needs disrupting mm. you know yeah See, I think, like you said about the we're, we're tiny brands on the peripheral, that's true. And mm. I think we, you know, that we'll ignore big brands using, you know, on environmental standpoints, big brands, corporations, whatever, governments do bad things. But I worry about myself not recycling something properly. The individualism of things... I think also comes into this that I, that me you've just said that you have got you can't make much of a difference and neither can I neither can any of us but if I make something that someone can fit into and someone likes how it fits on them it makes them feel a certain way that means more mm. to me than if I was to go and protest outside number 10 that means more to me because that person I've probably had a conversation with, and that person exists on a personal level now, yeah. and like that is a really humbling thing to be able to do. So yes, we are small brands, and yes, we've not got as much clout as you say, but if all these small brands made someone feel good on a Thursday afternoon, that's a really nice Thursday afternoon for shitloads of people, <laughs> which is all we need. The, 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 what you what you really could do with it i think is um it would need somebody of the stature of a guy like paul smith for example uh i don't really know the the ownership structure in his business anymore but uh, i i imagine he still has a fair clout in it I think it would take somebody at the very, very top to take a risk and say, um, 
this is go to the marketing department because all they're doing is saving their ass every day to keep their jobs and look good and, and get promoted and earn more money. Nothing wrong with that. Um, mm. <laughs> we've got to pay our bills. Um, yeah. It would almost take a directive from the very top to say, I don't want to do it like this anymore. This is not how I want to do it, you know. Mm. Or, oh, I mean, yeah, and it's not even completely stopping what you're doing and changing it. It's about diversifying it. It's not about that I will never use a medium male model again. It's about that I will use them and I'll use them and I'll use them interchangeably yeah. or all at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because if someone wears your stuff, they are valuable. Sort of, because they don't fit what you maybe think. I don't... I, yeah. I don't get it, personally. <laughs> but maybe this is just part of a bigger problem that small companies are more into this concept whilst larger companies are actually more businesses they they are they aren't really about supplying clothes that's just sort of incidental to them being businesses what they're really in the business of is making money and they're doing that in the yeah. sort of most efficient way that they can so they're producing stuff where it's cheapest of materials that are as cheap as possible and they're using known methods of selling that they well the methods that work but it's like an integrity thing because the people in that office are probably not all identical to the models they use it's that very few people are yeah like it's it's the the kind of the wheels already spinning of sort of big picture capitalism and that we sell things at whatever margins, and we make this profit, we grow this, we do this, we do this, we get investors, we have to pay them a certain amount, we have to deliver certain profits and all the rest of it. I think the people sat at them desks maybe do feel a bit shit about it, but it's this big business thing that what do you do? How do you stop it? I don't think a lot of people even think about it that much, to be honest, because it's probably quite low down on their list of priorities for uh, the, the strategic process progress of the brand or the company. It, it's actually, it's not really, there aren't, I don't believe there are that many people at the top thinking, it, they're, they're almost operating on this, well, it ain't broke, so why try to fix it? Yeah, you know, so like, the the ideologues that, that's that's what stops progress, isn't it? It's no, it, it, things might not be broken, but that doesn't mean we should keep doing it the same way. No, absolutely, you're right, and and uh, uh, it, it, it's right, but I think that um, any, any meaningful change, it probably will come from small brands and then the slightly bigger brands note it for example with what you're doing neve somebody somewhere will notice what you're doing think we should be doing something like that too so maybe it's that the the, the small guys and the small girls have to take a message 
to the market and be i mean one little thing i do which is against all of the um play the marketing playbooks because of this size thing i don't an, an imagery thing the, the things we've talked about of beauty beauty and ugliness or whatever i don't like using models in my photography i just put things on mannequins somebody might say well why don't you go out and buy a size triple extra large mannequin <laughs> so i haven't got that far yet but um just little messages that we can send out everybody probably thinks i'm wrong not using models they probably say oh no you've got to show it no i haven't i don't want to i don't want to fuel that mm. idea of beautiful people wearing my stuff i want anybody that really appreciates nice quality to come and have a look at us you know don't want it yeah. to be based um, upon some con some idea or some idea of what form and beauty is you're also not selling a lifestyle product uh, gary i mean no. where are the range rovers and the shotguns and the dead pheasants and all that in your imagery i mean i'm missing it see yeah, it's yeah. kind of yeah, yeah <laughs> you've got me think you've got me think about my thing now and like i i do like to use humans in pictures and that's yeah. just because my view of it is i want my clothes to go out into the world and live and yeah i'd i'd be very concerned if i saw the jacket go outside on its own so <laughs> so <laughs> i i do like having humans in it because yeah I, I understand. I like yeah. what you're saying. I like what you're saying about product, and it's about the product and the integrity of the product. But that product is a human-based thing. So even though I think you're, maybe, you're, sorry, yeah. I'm just being really your 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 message, your, your what you're trying to achieve, Neve, is probably it's probably more it, it's probably necessary for you to, to have your things seen because it's it, a part of your message, isn't it? As you've described the, the fit and the, you know, the, the fact that um, it, it's not necessarily gender defined. I, I think that mm. perhaps you do need with what you're doing. If you did what I did and just put your things on a mannequin, it probably might not get, I, I understand what you mean. It might not get the message across. Whereas with me, Maybe I'm wrong, but a coat is a coat is a coat. It's, it's, people can look at the picture of a coat on a mannequin and think, well, I like that coat or I don't like that coat. You know, it's a coat. And I'm not, mm. going, I'm not going outside the parameters of pretty much what one might say is standard sizing, really. I'm not doing, mm. I'm not doing fit. I'm not doing oversize. Um, at the moment, I haven't evolved into being um, uh, a, a sort of a non-binary brand. I still have men's collection, <laughs> women's collection. You know. Mm. So, yeah, I get. I get why you would use models. I think it's probably more important for you. No, that, that I'm not. Um, I wasn't trying to be like. No, I've got the right answer, or you have. Like, I just. I think. Oh, no, no, no. I no, think, I think you understand the as, brand well. I think it's. Yeah, maybe understanding for people either starting a brand or for people 
wanting to work in clothing, whatever, seeing it as yeah. product first. Like, yeah. like you're saying a coat's a coat. It's not a coat. It's not just a coat. It is just no. a coat because it's, it's, you're going to go out into the world and wear it as a coat. But yeah. all the stuff that goes into making that coat makes it yeah. a piece of engineering, yeah. as is everything. Like a lasagna is a, like, is a collection of yeah. thoughts and what have you. So, yeah, yeah I, suppose I, I don't see it as clothing, but, but the human side is important to me. And I think it's important to you, but maybe in a from what you've said, in a way of how you speak to people and that you email and that you want to have that dialogue? Well, the, the very first in, the very first meeting I made is a visual meeting because the, the, the potential customer sees a picture of my product. And mm. I, I can't have that dialogue with them if they don't engage with me having seen the product. Uh, so mm. it, it's very much a... a the um, what triggers the whole thing is a is a visual a visual. Um, it, it urges them to email me or, or even buy one. You know um, what I suppose I'm saying with with my particular um, brand is that what I'm doing at the moment maybe it would change if I start doing other products, but with outerwear, I. I'd be interested to know what other people thought, but I don't think I will sell more clothes, jackets and coats than I do by using real models over and above using mannequins. I don't actually think it would enhance my turnover. <laughs> I almost want to argue it might do the opposite because I'm taking like away... In the way, like in the way that... Like yeah, I'm, I'm actually distracting about... someone. Yeah. yeah, I'm distracting somebody with the guy's chiselled look, so I'm distracting them with a Range Rover or whatever, and I actually want to focus them on, look, <laughs> I sound like a train spot. I want them to look at the button. I want them to look at the collar. I want mm. them to read about what the fabric is, you know. So, um, yeah. but that's my brand. That's not it for everybody, you know. See, you know, I like. I really like. I like looking at clothing as clothing and product rather than lifestyle. But the reason I do this is quite a personal thing as well that I can't ignore. That like with the sizing and the unisex and all the rest of it, I can't ignore that. But like what you're saying, I want them to look at the buttons. I want them to do this. That yeah. it, that really matters to me, and like I say, like buttons from here, fabric from here, but I I find that in a way harder to um put across to people rather than other yeah. than on bullet points. So as you say, shooting it on a mannequin does it doesn't distract from that, um, and I think that I. Yeah, I don't know the experience you've got with that. I think I'm finding that quite interesting to have a think about of how can I do all this stuff about the human and my values and all that stuff that I want people to feel yeah. good about themselves with, but also go, I, I I make it like this. I use this to make it. 
and that also yeah. be put across in either a visual way or a written way that people can enjoy and want yeah. and want to assimilate with. I think this is interesting because it doesn't have to be either or. I mean, mm. there are brands that actually have mannequins and some friends and manage to integrate the two. Uh, and yeah. I think it depends what you're trying to put across. Now, I did notice that both of you mentioned that you want people to focus on the details of what you're making and that that might be hard to put across. And then, mm. Can we talk a bit about that? Yeah, um, well... Go on, Gary. You, there's more detail on your stuff. <laughs> it, it's attention span, I think. I mean, you're, you're almost um, you're you're recognizing that whoever is going to get their very first ever visual of you is you're going to hold their attention for probably seconds in single figures. And it, it's always a bit of a dilemma to say, right, am I going to show this full product in all its glory or am I going to show some very, very fine detail on a collar? And I don't know the answer. I think that it's partly that you you go more detailed to the people that know the brand and you zoom out more to the people that you want to introduce the brand to. Mm. That, that would be broadly um, my, perhaps how I approach it really. Um, yeah, because think... oh, it seems like you have enough time to do both. It seems like, you know, if, if, if the, the stats were such that you could hold somebody's interest for a minute and do both, then great. But um, I, I've recently started to use um, reels and stories, as Nick probably knows, in a different way, whereby I'll, I'll run a 20-second um, story or reel where I um, splice – seven or eight images together and put some text over the top. That's the nearest I've ever got to um, achieving both, where there's the, the, the zoomed out shot um, and then it scrolls after two seconds, three seconds, and it shows a bit more detail with a little bit of text. Um, but I'm always conscious that you're not holding people's attention for very long. Yeah, it's but that's the kind of the social media media world we live in, as in that you want a bigger audience, you want a bigger thing, and going all the way back to what you said about if there's twenty people in Manchester, there's probably yeah. another twenty, another twenty, another twenty elsewhere. I think. Yeah. I I, I sort of see this with um. Um, my day job that I'm very product and I look at I'm looking at a line of stitching going it's not straight that's not right I'm not I'm not happy with that but actually that's not what the brand is maybe about 
whereas our yeah. brands are. And normal sort of Joe blogs on the street probably isn't noticing that that button is like that or that that pocket has been put on in that way. They're probably not. but And that doesn't mean that they aren't a valid person that I want to engage with my brand, nor do I think that I must educate them on it. If you like it, you like it. You can like it for whatever reasons you like it, whether it's the button or the cut or whatever. Um, I think the people that absolutely love that stuff want to be told it. And the people that... I don't think anyone's anti it. (laughs) I think people are quite happy to um, read a bit about detail in whatever way because it it's just interesting. It's... uh... Yeah. Going that it isn't it's important. A, it's never not important. It's just how you do it, like well, you're saying about wider audience, bigger picture. Yeah. Smaller I think audience there's a very detail. I think there's a very important point to mention about detail. And a quick scan of the internet of across a multitude of different brands will see I would say most brands doing a some sort of job some of them very well, some of them half-assed, in talking about detail. To me, it isn't actually going to do very much for us by just saying it's got a side-entry pocket with a two-way zip or a this kind. Because you know what? The big brands are great on doing all that. The The big difference, in to, to my mind, is simple it's transparency it's not detail of a pocket or a collar the detail it's a different kind of detail it's a it's a it's a detail of where you bought that fabric who was the supplier how did you get it it's a different Mm. kind of detail Mm. And, and that to me is where small brands can can score because Let's take a guy looking at 10 jackets across the board, and they all talk about the zip they use, the quality of the, the, the I don't know, the Melton collar or whatever. One brand out of all of them says, oh, yeah, we bought this from um, La Rosmiani, a mill in Italy on Lake Como. It's their, you know, best two-ply cotton that they buy the yarn from uh, it's Egyptian cotton or sea island cotton and you you go into some depth so it's a different way of looking at detail because I think the other way of doing detail is is almost overdone everyone does it it's it's a bit like the the everybody does the ethical organic story now I mean we're bored to death with it It, it, we Mm. have to find and what the big brands won't do and can never do, I don't think, is they cannot be transparent because they're not going to tell you that the cotton came from um, some nondescript mass-produced factory in China or Thailand or Indonesia or wherever. They're not, not going to tell you that. Well, I mean, they probably don't even know. Like, supply chains are so crazy. Yeah, that so that's where I believe we can score. mm you know, I think that that's 
different way of looking at detail. That's what I'm saying. I often think that there's a, a level of deception going on, kind of like the, the con man or the, the three cup uh, thing, where by it looks like you're giving a lot of detail, yeah. but in reality, you're not actually saying very much. Yeah. It looks like you're transparent and you've got loads of cool features, but it's all just yeah. fluff. Mm. It's like when they say it's got nine pockets and you think, yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> well done. But, yeah, but. Or it's got a storm <laughs> collar, but it doesn't actually work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You, want, you might want to cut the next bit, Nick, but I'm going to have to go soon. Uh, I, did, out. I did want to ask something before we we finish up uh, because yeah both of you have had interest from japan recently and i'd love to hear more right. about how that <laughs> came about because last time i spoke to you there was no mention of it and suddenly things are sort of happening Who's going go on neve oh okay you can <laughs> um Absolutely out of nowhere. I'm gesturing um, the arms in there. Yeah, no <laughs> idea. Um, a small agent sort of messaged me on Instagram and wanted to try it out and show it to the shops that they sell to. And they are really like patient and understanding about how small I am um and yeah craziness that's fantastic <laughs> that's fantastic so my, yeah so my um my second sort of lot my, the, the next season so um yeah autumn winter 23 is with them now selling um so I'll see how many shops buy it, who buys it, what they buy. We'll see. Are you sort of quietly yeah. optimistic that this might take things to a next level? I mean, they when they sent the first order through, when they'd shown the first few samples a few months, well, back end of last year, um, they're like, it's a very small order, first time around, like, we, we have hope, whatever and all this. I got the order and it, to me, as a person that will spend seven hours making a jacket, I was like, that's a massive order. It, it, like, it was very small. Um, a bit transparent about it. Like, it was like 30 pieces, so mind you. But that is shitloads to me. <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, my God. So if, that is, if that's a very small order, then... God knows, but um, yeah, really exciting, and I think it's it's not something I ever aimed to do, but the way that they spoke to me about that we want to bring beautiful things to people, things that have got reason, stuff like that. I was like, well, this is this, this isn't a this isn't a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a sellout thing. Um, it's definitely not a sellout thing because I'm still the numpty sat making it all on my own <laughs> with help from friends for the other bits. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's really exciting and very much 
a different market and I think culturally they view clothing differently in Japan and I think it sits comfortably alongside how I view clothing so it it means a lot to me and I'm very um not not nerves what am I I'm very kind of shocked by it very shocked by it and it yeah Okay. Yeah. That was excellent. How about you, Gary? Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, very briefly, I think um, one thing I would say about Japan to encourage me, because I certainly feel encouraged for myself as well, is the Japanese have a long history with American and European heritage brands. And the Japanese market has been really, really influential. Um, in terms of the general direction of f- fashion globally. I mean, it, it, if either of you haven't read a book by a chap called um, David Marks, he wrote a book called Amatora. The last month? Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. How Japan Saved American Style. Oh, yes. <laughs> a great read. And yep. I think the reason I preface what I wanted to say briefly with that is because what happened to Neve is almost um, a carbon copy of what happened to me. Um, I sold a couple of coats to a guy in Japan, and uh, I thought, well, I wasn't expecting that. He found me somehow on the internet. And so I immediately, I think I put a couple of hundred quid into an advert on Instagram directed at Japan only. Um, Despite what I said earlier about Facebook, somehow when I spend a bit of money on Instagram, it works. Um, I'm not sufficiently technically qualified to understand why that would be the case. But however, um, I spent the money, didn't sell anything else, but I got a call from a distributor who said, um, oh, English artisanal brand, making your own stuff using high-end fabrics. Perfect. How come we haven't heard of you? (laughs) I said, listen, mate, nobody's heard of me in the next town. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he said, uh, and then I, I nearly fell off my chair. He said, well, we like what you're doing. We like your styles. We want to come and see you. I said, really? He said, yeah, we want to come over to England and we'll come and talk to you about um, distribution in Japan. (laughs) I think I said to my partner that night, this has happened today. Oh, my God, it feels like I've got a proper business now. (laughs) That was my thing, like using words like wholesale and marginal. So I was like, ah. That's right, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God, does that mean I'm a businessman? Oh, my God. Sold out, Gary. You sold out. The man. Yeah. So they came over, (laughs) had a great meeting. Um, We put together a collection together. I I was, you know, back to what we were saying earlier, Eve. You you know, you you listen to what people will say, well, we like what you do, but we think perhaps for our market, you you might want to adapt this. So I listened Mm -hmm. and I did. Um. And like you, they've sold in for 
autumn winter 23 and um humble beginnings but i'm going to be stocked in 15 stores in japan from september this year oh, which okay. is a it's a massive uh, boost for for what i'm doing you know gives me even more confidence that I must be doing something right I, I can see there's going to be a book out next year about how Japan saved uh, uh, the small scale garment manufacturing in northern England. <laughs> yeah. I think my version of that book will be How Japan Saved My Ass. I feel that, Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, so it's crazy. onwards and upwards. Guys, I'm going to have to. I have a daughter to collect from uh, college. I'm afraid. As much as I would like to talk for another hour or two. <laughs> okay, Gary. No thanks a lot for for joining us. You scoot off now. Yeah, thank you, Gary. Thanks, That's, that it's been really. Yeah. Really Let's do part two. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> we just like we yeah. just live stream us three talking from now on. Yeah. Hey, Nick, why don't you contact Netflix and we'll have a six-part series? <laughs> uh, you without your video. Yeah. Okay, guys, take care. Okay, then. Bye-bye, Gary. Bye. Bye. Okay, Neve. anything you'd like to sort of mention in closing? Anything cool happening? Um, anything cool happening? Um finally got my own studio at long last after sort of living in everyone's corners out of a lot of kindness from people but finally yeah. my own little room it's very wonky the floor makes you feel like you're drunk because it's all higgledy-piggledy but it's my own four walls <laughs> sounds very authentic <laughs> yeah in, in, um, in the Costa del Stockport which mm. <laughs> very glamorous and high fashion but Stockport is a wonderful place I'm very excited to be in it and part of it because there's some great small businesses going on that are doing wonderful things Do you find that the small businesses are sort of working together? Are they supporting each other? Yes, and the ones that aren't are going back to my. There are two people in this world: dickheady ones and non-dickheady ones. The <laughs> the small businesses that have got um that are not nice, and biz and small businesses that are nice, as is everything in the world. So the ones that are nice, we all are mates, and we're all very supportive of one another, and it's great, especially in a small place like Stockport, which is, for your wider audience, a place in Greater Manchester, basically, in the UK. And it's, um, yeah, it's great and it's full of this good stuff, as is Manchester, as is Yorkshire, where Gary's from, every, everywhere. We've got these little hubs of people. So you just got to find them and be nice to them. I often find it's very hard to find them beforehand. So if you don't know they're there, you will never stop by. No, true. Um, well, we just have to put 100 quid into an Instagram post like Gary, don't we, and we'll be fine. 
<laughs> you, could, you could do that. You could do that. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe um, you'll be discovered in Japan. Well, we just—it's just conversation, isn't it? Like we said about if something's good, you tell people. If something's bad, you tell even more people. But just engaging with people, and if you like something, even if it's from—I don't know—if you like something, tell someone about it. Whether it be on a bus or in person or on a worldwide podcast like it's you just tell people about it and it's someone somewhere will benefit from that so it's just about being nice I just people aren't nice anymore and that's not okay um we just need to be more nice and tell everyone good things that we find because it's more good things that's a perfect way to end this recording <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much Steve. No everyone should just be nicer i, I fully stand behind that fully it's, oh it's shitty out there if we can just be nicer and do good things surely mm. surely we'll be all right let's hope so okay Neve. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much for joining me today. Thank you and, for having um, me again. Bye-bye for now. Bye. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>